Today is Palm Sunday and the beginning of this week that we call Holy. Now, this has been one of the strangest Lenten seasons I think I've ever experienced. And, and we went in this knowing that we would start Ash Wednesday on, um, on Valentine's Day, right? And that Easter would be on April Fool's Day, right? And that April Fool's Day for me... Um, is my 20th anniversary here at Lover's Lane. So I thought, now this is going to be a different Lent, but could we have... Could we have... Thank you, but could we have ever known how different this Lent would be? Today we've already enjoyed the children coming in with the palm branches and they went from this service to uh, the other services. You know, we've got five going on at the same time on Sunday mornings at this hour. So the children are really getting their work out today. But they're bringing a lot to this uh, service because Palm Sunday wouldn't be Palm Sunday without the focus on the kids, right? We'll have a big Easter egg hunt afterwards. Again, focus on the kids. That's part of why we love Palm Sunday. And and during this Lenten season, we have um, uh, been focused on the promises of God or the covenants of God to us. And we have been um, looking at the different covenants, the different promises. Today, we're looking at the Davidic uh, promise. And we're looking at what King David led the people in, mainly the law, the way to... uh, to have a kingdom of God. And today we're going to be focused on what what does that Davidic uh, covenant or promise mean to us today related to the kingdom of God. We remember those words in Scripture about how um, the, the children waved the palm branches, they laid the palms and the cloaks and the coats in the street, and, and, and they, they said these words, Hosanna to the son of David. Our beautiful children's uh, kids sing choir saying those words for us this morning in voices from all over the world here at Lover's Lane. Today we're going to read um, uh, from, from Matthew's version of the, of the Palm Sunday event. And then I'm going to read some from the Sermon on the Mount as we go through uh, this sermon today. But I'd like us all to turn to the 21st chapter of Matthew's uh, Gospel And I want to say that I will probably offend about everybody here a little bit this morning. So be ready. But stay tuned and stay with me. I want us to stand for the reading of God's Word. When they'd come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. And they This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And a large crowd 
spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, now that'd be a good place to end, right? But if we ended there, we'd miss the best part. The best part of the Palm Sunday event didn't happen in the streets. It continues. And we know Jesus is about to go in the temple, right? We know what's going to happen in the temple and Jesus. And, 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 and then he turns over those tables. We're going to read about that just in a second. And, and we're, we're going to experience Jesus in that righteous indignation that we sometimes call. And, you know, you know I've always wondered what Jesus said in church when he was turning over those tables. I, I wonder if he said, how's your day going? Or nice weather we're having, right? Then Jesus entered the church and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm not going to go into too much of that, but I want us to get a feel for what Jesus was experiencing. There were those who were set up at tables selling doves, which was the smallest sacrifice you could make. It was the sacrifice for the poor. The poor could hopefully buy a dove. But have you ever been to a Rangers ball game and bought a $50 hot dog? Really? I mean, they've got you, right? You're in the temple. And, and you're going to pay a whole lot more for anything you eat there, right? You're going to say when you buy that $50 hot dog, that's too high, but I'm hungry for a hot dog. That was sort of what Jesus was experiencing but because they had jacked up these prices on the doves. And he could see all of this... Um, uh, this gain being made by persons there in the temple uh, so that they could worship God and he didn't like it one bit. Now there's a difference in being angry and righteous indignation. Now here's what Wikipedia says about righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is typically a reactive emotion of anger over mistreatment insult, or malice of another. It is akin to what is called the sense of injustice. In some Christian doctrines, righteous anger is the only form of anger that is not sinful, e.g. when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. The number one example of righteous indignation. Now, we need to know that from the beginning to the end of this great book, 
We have God um, showing righteous indignation, don't we? I mean, just pick your favorite story that illustrates it, and, and it'll be there. And in nearly every instance, God is expressing righteous indignation for the treatment of his kids, his children. That, that's what really gets under God's skin, just like it does any parent when our children are, are, are um, misused in some way or another. God doesn't like that one bit. This has been a different Lent. Think about the way we began. It was Ash Wednesday here at the church at noon. And before we had our Ash Wednesday service at night, there'd been a horrific tragedy in Parkland, Florida that just kept unfolding throughout the day. On Ash Wednesday, Valentine's Day, a shooter had killed 17 innocent people. And from that day on, by the time we got to Sunday, there were kids and parents turning over the tables, if you will, in protest of what was going on. And today, before the children came down our aisles with their palm branches and we all smiled and loved that scene. There were children all over this country in the hundreds of thousands marching and waving posters of protest. Now, do you remember the first Sunday of Lent after that? Ash Wednesday? We had come here together, all of us reeling. We'd come here around the promises of God and we started with the very first one. We started to talk about the fall, which talk about the fall and the entrance of sin and evil into the world would have been appropriate on any Sunday, but it seemed to be poignant on that day. I found myself in that unenviable position, an enviable position as a pastor, preacher. Standing right here again, just as I had in October um, after the concert where uh, the shooter had killed 58 people and injured hundreds and hundreds of people in Las Vegas. And then just a few weeks later on a Sunday in a little Baptist church down in Sutherland Springs, down outside of San Antonio, a shooter went into that church and killed 23 innocent people. And then again. The first Sunday of this Lent, we gather here reeling about the shooting in Florida. Now, I received a little feedback that my sermon that day seemed a little bit angry. Maybe I was a little angry. Maybe, maybe I said a word or two that really wasn't fit for church that I might shouldn't have said. And I apologize for that. But, but, but I hope this Lent for you and for me is marked by righteous indignation. I hope you have gotten worked up over the loss of innocent lives and more worked up over that than over anything the preacher said or didn't say. I hope each and every one of us, during this season of Lent, particularly during this season of Lent, this 
season that has been different than other Lent's. I hope that we have been able to put our entrenched beliefs and politics and positions and our own stuff. I'll just say stuff, okay? Stuff. On the table. And prayed that God would help us sort it out. And and show us, the church, how we can make a difference. But because I'm tired of getting up in this pulpit uh, month after month and and wondering what I say this week besides we're going to be praying for them down there. You know? Now, I hope that we've all been driven to a place of looking at ourselves and our culture and the senseless violence all around that takes lives and tries to steal God's promises. You know, Jesus always found a way in his teaching and preaching to be about the culture changing business. And if the church is not about the culture changing business, what on earth is our purpose? On that first Palm Sunday, He was critiquing yet again a vile and violent culture in his day that was unfair to the poor in that case. And in his preaching and teaching, he was talking about the need for a Savior and the need for a moral example in whom we find Jesus as both Savior and moral example of how to love God, how to love neighbor. And today we can't help but realize Our culture is in need of critique and change that only Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, working oftentimes through our righteous indignation, to bring about change. And the problems that we face today are complex. They're complex. And have to do with our Straying away from what we Christians know to be the paths that lead to healthier homes, respectful relationships, kindness as a norm, justice as an order, and an others-oriented fundamental society. The church should never be told that a violent culture and, and, and what happened most recently in the high school in Parkland, Florida, it is a, is a bigger problem than just guns or laws or universal background checks or gun safe zones or lobbies or mental health and, and who votes. It's all the problem. It's not an either or choice. The church, like Jesus is meant to be that culture-changing business, if you will. Or we have no purpose. The kingdom has not yet come, and we shouldn't be as Christians resting until we sense that God is still working through us for the coming of the kingdom. Now, we as Christians should not hold to a weak defense that does not admit that we have a cultural problem in this country. Stay with me. 
Do not hold, if you're out there and hold to more left-leaning political positions. Don't hold to those at the expense of seeing that our call as Christians is to change a culture that's gone awry. Now, I don't want to take the pressure off of the lawmakers or the gun lobby or all of the above that's been challenged lately in light of gun violence. I don't want to take the pressure off there, but you stay with me for a moment. The church must respond to a culture that needs Christ. Whether the culture admits it or not, we know what the culture needs. The church at its best is is needed now more than ever before. And when people start talking about problems within the culture, the church should be the first to say amen. Because we should be seeing that. And also seeing that we and the Christ in our hearts is the one who can bring some of this healing to a sick culture. Now what we see today is the devaluing of human life. There's too little respect for others. There is too much dehumanization and objectifying of others. And some of our ways and practices, or lack of practices, has us too desensitized to abuses of others. You know, violent video games that award points for kill counts makes war and killing a game of skill. Now, now who's, who thinks that's good? Our, our music and television movies feeding this violent violence craze. A reduced measure and respect for a moral compass. A removal of any sense of moral authority. Pornography as an addiction like never before, which dehumanizes and objectifies. And sexual abuse and assault in the workplace that dehumanizes as well. And young people increasingly suicidal and depressed through an obsession with social media that oftentimes uplifts those who are popular and those who should be outcast. And bigotry and racism leading to the rise of white supremacy and Nazism. An us and them mentality of people deemed to be superior over others. What Christian, when should the church ever be comfortable with culture that is in so much need of change? And, and we know all of this that exists here. It's not unique to the United States. This exists in other cultures as well. It exists in other lands. The experiencing of a secularization and a culture of Rejection of religion as irrelevant is not just what's going on in this country. It's going on in other countries as well. Now, 
Those who lean a little bit to the right with your politics. Do we have a show of hands? Don't do it. (laughs) We are a country unique with an epidemic of gun violence to accompany our cultural ills. The kinds of senseless mass murder using guns, some of which have no use in a moral society, happen in the United States at a rate many, 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 many times more than anywhere else. This is in part due to gun availability in our country, coupled with cultural ills that we've already discussed. It has a to do with the misuse of guns and the misinterpretation of the Second Amendment and misguided messengers who've lost a sense of what is right and moral and ethical. Standing up for their guns, so to speak. Common sense changes in how we deal with guns in our country and cultural conversation is called for and the church should be leading the way. We've got to talk. We've got to make choices and changes for the good. Now, church, that's you and me, right? We call people, especially our youth, to a higher authority. One we name as Jesus Christ. We must espouse to reach for a higher authority and change and influence people and therefore change the culture toward the way of Jesus. Now, now I want to read just a little bit more about Jesus. I want to read a little bit more about the Sermon on the Mount and some of the things that that, that Jesus said. Some of his culture-changing strategy. He said, you're familiar, in the fifth chapter, the 21st verse, you're familiar with the command to the anxious, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a sister or brother is guilty of murder. Angry with a sister or brother is guilty of murder. And don't say anything you don't mean. Now this is Eugene Peterson's liberties with Jesus words, okay? This counsel is embedded. This is the 33rd verse of the 5th chapter. Deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, "I'll pray for you." And never doing anything or saying, God be with you and not mean it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Ouch! Just say yes or no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. You know, one of the first things we heard coming out of Parkland, and I hope we heard it, 
We heard the kids saying, we don't need your prayers. Oh, that hurt. Because we're people of prayer. We know the power of prayer. But what they were saying was that that we, we don't want you just praying or talking about it. We want some action. And, and we as the church know that we start with prayer. But, but if prayer is all that we do and we don't listen to, in our prayers to what God is leading us to do, then what good is prayer? We're just talking and not listening. More from the fifth chapter. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst in you. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. And this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. I love Eugene. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you want a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You're kingdom of God subjects. Now, live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Right there. Jesus wasn't playing. You hear me? He was changing. He was changing lives and hearts and the world. By doing so. Now now not every kid across this country yesterday that you may have heard speak on television was, was coming from a Christian perspective. Not all of them who spoke had an appreciation for the Lenten journey that we are on. For sure. But those of us who are on this Lenten journey. We know where it leads. It leads us first to a cross on Calvary and then to an empty tomb on Easter where we experience resurrection. Now, now many outside the church may not know the truth that we herald in our crucified God that death does come, but joy comes in the morning through resurrection. 
And in resurrection, I hope we understand, we're not talking, we're not going to be talking on Easter Sunday, next Sunday. I can't wait. I can't wait to get there. So I'm going to try to get there a little bit today. We're not going to be talking about just an event in history when Jesus rose from the grave. But of course, that's what we talk about on Easter. But that's not the end of the story. We're going to be talking about how, how that story of Easter, I've got to get out of this pulpit, how this story of Easter is about resurrection that we experience now. He lives now. Where? In Don Wiley? I mean, you may not believe it, but he does. And in me. And in you. We're called to understand the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a big no to death and the things that lead to death and destruction. And a big yes to those who have Christ living in you to make a difference. And that difference is not just waiting for the sweet by and by when everything's done here and you inherit eternal life. That's not all of Easter. That's not even the best part here. The best part here is what it does to you and me and how we work so that others may know a culture of redemption. Which is what we're about. You know, I can't help it. I get worked up. Because I see promise. A few days ago when I was down with our kids on a roof in Victoria, Texas, and I saw kids from literally all over the world working hand in hand together, loving each other, sleeping on the floor of the same church. When I saw them spend a week together putting a roof on some stranger's house. I saw the kingdom of God. In Easter people. When I heard those stories Friday night about the children across this world who are starving to death. But a billion of them. A billion rations are going to be packed. Because the kingdom of God all across the world through an organization called Feed My Starving Children cares enough to make it happen. Wow. When I talked last night to Justin, who's an all-star in his United Methodist Youth Group in Coral Springs, Florida, When I I heard him say that God told him not to go to Washington, that, that, that there was something that he needed to do, but it wasn't Washington. It wasn't marching in Washington. And then the phone rings and it's Lover's Lane. He said, I I don't know what God wants to do through me, but I know God wants me here. I, I get excited. 
because I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And I know he's living. Whatever foes may say, I see his hand of mercy. Do you? I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always here. He lives. Do you know it? He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. And he talks with me. A long life's narrow way. I'd sing it, but it's not Easter. Friends, we are people who should have hope today. For we are people who know the culture has need. And our Lord is the answer. We are a people who know that there can be actions taken by the church that will make a difference. What they are, I don't know yet. But we need to be sensitive. Just as that young man was sensitive to where God will lead us. Amen.